Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolias First. For more information, visit www.magnoliasfirst.org. Well, I welcome you, whether you are watching one of our online services or watching in person here on the campus of Magnolias First, I welcome you back as we continue in the series, Matters of the Heart. And last week, I made a very personal statement about you. You have a heart problem. You really do. And it's not the kind of heart problem that you or I would see a cardiologist to be treated. It is a spiritual heart problem. And we're going to look at that throughout this series. The prophet Jeremiah, many centuries ago, warned us of this heart problem. And he said in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? The power of that statement just shakes me that my heart and your heart is desperately wicked. And does that mean that they might as well indict and convict us right now because that's just who we are and we have no hope because of the wickedness of our hearts? No, not at all. We're going to see over and over each week in this series that there is a path that our Savior has made for us to find victory over this heart problem. And we're going to determine throughout this series this goal and objective, how to tell our sinful heart that it is not in charge. So as we start today's message, I want you to imagine something with me. So just, just focus your mind, whether you're at home or in the worship center or in the venue and the resonate service, wherever you are, I want you to focus your mind and imagine this with me, that you could get into a time machine and you could go back in time and you could encounter younger you. And you would encounter younger you at the point of making the mistake that you regret the most. I mean, that mistake that if we had video of that and we were to put it up on the big screen and show it in our online services and in our on-campus worship services, and you saw yourself doing what you did on the screen, you would just cringe and say, no, stop, turn that off. Can you think of that? Let's just pretend that you could get in that time machine and you could go back and just before you did that sinful deed, before you made that mistake, you could walk up to younger you and say, stop, don't do that. Do it differently. Do it better. Do it in a more godly way. Don't make that mistake. And you may say, well, pastor, does it have to be just one thing? 
I mean, could I give you my top 10? (laughs) I could probably do that. But if we look back on those things that we did in our past that we regret the most, that were our biggest mistakes, that were the most significant sins of our past, we would find that each one of those acts created a heart dynamic, an emotion inside of us that caused us perhaps to this day, to feel regret and shame. And those deeds of our younger selves cause the emotion of guilt. Guilt. And I want to define that, and then we'll unpack it a little bit. I would define guilt this way. The feeling that lingers when we think we have done something wrong when we think we have done something wrong. And I, I use the word lingers because the guilt outlives the deed or the act itself. And oftentimes, it far outlives the consequences of the deed. And some of us carry guilt for things we've done in our past for years, maybe even decades. And guilt can impact every part of your life, sometimes in very dramatic and destructive ways. Now, as we're thinking about guilt today, I think it's important for us to understand that there are different kinds of guilt. Let me, let me seek to define that. Uh, first of all, there's false guilt. I would say false guilt is when we carry the blame for something that in reality was not our fault. Uh, We sometimes find ourselves apologizing for things that we didn't do. Maybe we were just there or we were aware of it or or somehow uh, were a part of it, but we really did nothing wrong. But but it's so uncomfortable that we feel guilt somehow that really we don't deserve. That's false guilt. And that's something the enemy uses to accuse us and attack us over and over and over. And especially if you wrestle with insecurity, false guilt is something that visits you again and again. It is a lie of the enemy, false guilt. But then there's legitimate guilt, real guilt. And I would define that this way. When we did something that was sinful or destructive, and we feel shame and regret. It's guilt we deserve because we were (laughs) guilty. Uh, We did it. Uh, We're not blaming anybody. Nobody made us do it. Uh, We admit that we did it. We own it, and we have sorrow and regret for that, and it's legitimate guilt. God can use that in a positive way, and we'll talk about that a little later in the message. But there's a a kind of legitimate guilt, this this third kind I want to talk about, uh, that's even more destructive because with this kind of guilt, we're not even willing to take the first step toward healing and forgiveness and freedom. And I call this third kind of guilt repressed guilt. And I define it like this, when we know instinctively that we are guilty, but we refuse to acknowledge it, and we instead rationalize it and suppress it. 
We make excuses. We blame someone else. We minimize it by comparing it to somebody else in our mind's greater uh, deed. We say it's no big deal, and yet deep in our heart, we know. We know we ought to man up and take responsibility, but it's just too painful. And so instead, we stuff it down. We repress it. It's repressed guilt. And it's those kinds of guilt that can put us in bondage for a lifetime. And that all sounds terrible, and it is, but there's good news. It's our big idea for today. Your past does not have to imprison you. It doesn't. Your past does not have to imprison you. There is forgiveness. There is freedom. Freedom for your past. And wisdom and courage to face the future and avoid guilt and regret in the days to come. But it's all a matter of the heart. There's such an insightful proverb. We find it in Proverbs 4.23. From the New Living Translation, it reads like this. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. And I like the translation of the New International Version even more. I think it speaks even more personally and powerfully. Look at that translation. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Everything you do. Now, last week, we said that when we speak of the heart, we all understand that we're not talking about the cardiovascular muscle that pumps blood through, through our bodies. Those are important, and we should keep them healthy as much as we can. But when the Scripture speaks of the heart, and when much of English literature and conversation speaks of the heart, we understand what we're really talking about is not the cardiovascular muscle. It's the part of our mind that controls our will, that controls our emotions, that controls our values and our decisions and our beliefs, that part of our minds that is so central to who we are as individual persons created in the image of God. That's why Paul spoke of renewing your mind. And we often refer to that as the heart. So with that understanding, I want you to hear this statement. What is in a person's heart impacts the people in their life. It really does. What's in your heart if you're married impacts your spouse. What's in your heart if you're a parent impacts your children. What's in your heart impacts your family members. What's in your heart impacts your friends, and if you're still in the workplace, what's in your heart impacts the coworkers that work alongside you on the job, because what's inside will come out. It's even true of those of us who have a new heart because we've been redeemed by placing our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
the Scripture says that He gives us a new heart, but the Scripture also says that though we have a new nature as sons and daughters of, of the living God through faith in Christ, we also have the remnants of our old nature, that sin nature that will never be completely conquered and eradicated until we stand face to face with our Lord Jesus in glory. And so there is this constant tension, this constant battle between our new heart and our old heart, our new nature and our old nature. And there are times that things of our old nature will come out of our heart. Things that cause us to feel regret. Things that cause us to experience guilt. Things that are sinful. And if we don't believe that's true, then we don't understand the Scripture. Look what the Apostle John said in 1 John, beginning with verse 8. John said, if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. We struggle with that old sinful nature. There is a sinful part of our being, our heart, that, like I said last week, it's always struggling to get out. That's who we are. That's who we will be until the Lord Jesus brings us home to glory, to be with him. And sometimes those things come out of us in ways that are hurtful and destructive, and they cause us to experience guilt. So what do we do with that? What do we do with our sin that causes guilt and regret? John goes on to tell us in verse 9, this is such good news. Look at this. But if we confess our sins to him. I want to pause there for just a moment. When it says confess our sins, it doesn't just mean admit them and, and list them and, okay, God, here they are. Yeah, I admit it. No, that kind of confession means that we look upon our sin as God looks upon our sin is ugly and dirty and hurtful, and we lay it before him with deep sorrow because we long for our new nature to be in control, and we confess that sin to him. And when we pour that out before him, the Bible calls that repentance. When we pour out our sin before him, oh, look at this. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Now, don't miss those two verbs, to forgive and to cleanse. Our sin is washed by the blood of Jesus and the dirt and the guilt of our sin is gone. It's gone. I want you to imagine something else with me. Use your imagination again, and I want you to look at your hands. And I want you to imagine the time that your hands were the dirtiest they'd ever been. And maybe if you never have gotten your hands really dirty, then just imagine how dirty they could be, where you were working in the mud or, or with grease, or, or how about this? How about you're cleaning out your septic system, and they just got filthy, dirty, and they're just awful. And that's our sin. 
But then I want you to imagine that you begin to wash your hands. That should be easy. We've washed our hands more than any time in our lives the last few weeks. And let's just imagine that we're washing those dirty hands of ours with, with soap that, that is powerful and it, it's cleansing and it disinfects and you wash and you wash till every bit of that dirt and that filth and that grease is all gone. And, and, and now look at your hands as they really are. And if you're here on campus, maybe when you walked in, you even put some sanitizer on your hands and your hands are clean and free from germs. You are clean. And that's what he does for us that we can come to him when we confess our sins in repentance and he cleanses us and we come to him then with clean hands and a clean heart. That's what he does when we confess and repent of our sin. The dirt and the filth and the germs of sin are gone The stain is gone. The guilt is gone. And to God, as he looks at you, when you are then forgiven, he remembers that sin no more. Our God, who is omniscient, who knows everything, chooses to block from his divine recall the reality of your past sin because when he cleanses it from you with the blood of Jesus, it's gone. It is no longer there. And when we fail to believe that, not just with our head but with our heart, when we fail to embrace and recept that fully, then we take the weight of, listen, we take the weight of that guilt and we put it on our back. And we begin to walk through life. We begin to try to run the race he set before us with the weight of that sin that he's already forgiven and forgotten. And when we carry the weight of that false guilt, we are playing right into the enemy's hands. Let me say it this way. When we carry guilt for sin that God has forgiven, we empower the enemy to weaken us, to weaken us spiritually and to weaken us emotionally. It is a weapon of warfare that he uses against us and that he uses against our heart as he seeks to cripple us emotionally and spiritually. He weakens us by deceiving us into carrying the weight of illegitimate guilt from sin that's been forgiven, cleansed, and forgotten by our righteous God. And he wants to put that burden on you. He wants you to carry that weight. Have you ever heard somebody say when they finally were able to resolve an issue of their past, uh, to hear him say, I just feel like a weight has been lifted off of me. That's because that's what it is. When we finally embrace the cleansing, forgiving power of the Lord Jesus Christ, he takes that weight off of our back. When he forgives you for the mistakes and sins of your past, 
And that is so important, child of God, that you claim that from him because until the weight of illegitimate guilt is lifted, it will pour itself out on others in our lives in ugly and destructive ways. It is like one of those pacing lions that I talked about last week that is caged up inside our heart that's just pacing back and forth looking for a way to break out of that cage and to pounce on somebody or several somebodies in our lives. And if you try to ignore this kind of guilt or if you try to deal with it on your own, if you just kind of ignore the reality and power of the Lord's cleansing and forgiveness, if you just try to, to deal with it uh, in your own strength and in your own intellect, it becomes powerfully destructive because we just can't do it. Uh, I would say it like this, you can't undo the past because it's past. It's past. And you remember my hypothetical illustration where we would get into a time machine and go back and talk to younger you? Well, the reality is, friends, there aren't any time machines. We can't go back. We can't undo the past. We can't unscramble the egg of our past sin. And when we somehow think we can deal with this weight of, of illegitimate guilt on our own, we find that when you can't relieve the guilt by undoing the past, it leaves you condemned. Condemned. When your heart feels condemned, the enemy has got you right where he wants you. And guilt is in charge of your heart. I know someone who had more reason to feel guilt and regret than all of us put together. And you may hear that and say, oh, I doubt that, preacher. If you really knew my past, you wouldn't say that. If you really knew what a lousy spouse I used to be and how I wrecked my first marriage, you wouldn't say that. Pastor, if you really knew what a terrible parent I was years ago, and now my kids don't even want to have anything to do with me, you wouldn't say that somebody else is more guilty than me. Pastor, if you knew how much I used to drink, and how immoral I was, you'd put me at the top of the list or fill in the blank, and I say to you, all of those things together may or may not be true of your past, but you still wouldn't match up to the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul. If you really look at his resume before he met Christ that day on the road to Damascus, if you look at his old life as Saul, it would make you cringe because he was part of persecuting the followers of Christ. He was a party to imprisoning some of the followers of Jesus Christ. He was complicit in the execution of some of the followers of Jesus in those early days. And once he became the great missionary and church planter, 
that we know as the Apostle Paul, he didn't deny his past. He didn't try to excuse it away or minimize the spiritual terrorist that he was those years ago. But instead, he acknowledged it and he confessed it. Here's what he said in Galatians chapter 1, verse 13. Paul said, you know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best, he said, to destroy it. And yet, as horrible as the sin and the terrorism of Paul's old life as Saul was, Paul had found a life in which he didn't have to deny his past sin. He didn't have to make excuses for his past sin. And he didn't carry the weight of guilt from his past sin. Because he understood that when Jesus came in, he changed everything, including his heart. You know this, this statement from Paul, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. The old life is gone. Did you get that? Gone. G-O-N-E. No more guilt. No more weight. No more condemnation. And he said that in such a powerful and profound way in Romans chapter 8. Look at it. Paul said, so now There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. No condemnation, none, nada. As far as God is concerned, it's like it never even happened. And though you couldn't go back to your old life and try to stop younger you, Though you can't get into a time machine to change the guilt of your past, Jesus did it for you. He did it for you. Look at what Paul says in that next verse, verse 2. And because you belong to him, (laughs) the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Paul, as Saul, before he met Christ, tried to to relieve the sin of his life through religion. And he was dedicated fanatically to the old covenant, to the Mosaic law. And he tried for religion to change his heart, but it didn't work. It didn't work then, and it doesn't work now, look at what he said, verse 3. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. 
He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, don't miss this, and in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Sin brings guilt and condemnation. But look, Jesus took the condemnation for your guilt. Jesus took it. Somebody had to pay for what you did and what I did. But Jesus made the payment. Jesus took the guilt. Jesus took the weight of our sin on the cross. And when he shed his blood and gave his life for you and for me, our sin debt to a holy God was marked paid in full. Zero balance, no more guilt. I just have to think of the words of that old hymn. You know it. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Do you see it? Jesus came to set your heart free from guilt. I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 103, verse 10. It says, He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. Look at this. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. Not only did he cancel your sin debt to a holy God, he released you from the weight of your guilt. There is no more guilt for forgiven sin. It has, as the psalmist said, been removed. It is lifted. It is gone. It is buried. And the next time that old enemy begins to speak words of accusation in the the ear of your heart about those past sins for which you've already been forgiven, you just imagine that you're looking him in the eye and say, leave me alone. I have been forgiven. I have been set free by the blood of Jesus. So here's what I want you to do if he's been beating you up with false guilt. Number one, if you're living under the weight of guilt for forgiven sin, if you feel that from your past pounding on you and trying to put that weight back on you, understand that didn't come from God. Know where it came from and reject it. And instead, number two, When you remember your guilty deeds, rejoice that you are fully free and forgiven. 
fully free and forgiven. You don't have to deny that they happened, but you do not have to live in bondage to them. They are a part of your past, but they have no place in your present. Guilt is not in charge of your heart anymore. Because of Jesus, your past does not have to imprison you. Let me pray for you. Lord, I pray for anyone who has heard this message and the enemy has trying to, been trying to shackle them, been trying to keep them in the bondage of false guilt for sin that you have already forgiven and cleansed them of. And so I pray, Lord, that that truth from your word would sink deep into their heart. And that when the enemy comes as an accuser, they will look him in the eye and cast him away and claim once again the forgiveness and cleansing of the blood of Jesus that washes away all our sin. And we pray this in his name. Amen.